From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep. We dive deep into our Catholic faith. I'm Andrew Hansen. On Tuesday, January 28th, Bishop Thomas John Paprocki sat down for a live Q&A with high school students from across the diocese. Topics included advice for how to stay Catholic in college, what is the church in our diocese doing about increasing the number of vocations to the priesthood and religious life, how many miles does Bishop Paprocki drive every year in the diocese, and the number will surprise you, among other funny and serious questions about our faith. Here is that question and answer session with our high school students, and just a heads up to our listeners, going forward, Dive Deep will run every other week starting in February. Uh, welcome, everyone, to our live Q&A with Bishop Paprocki. I am Andrew Hansen. I am his spokesperson, so this is kind of funny, and the communications director here for the diocese. So happy Catholic Schools Week to you all. Again, we have, uh, right now we have five of our seven high schools because we're waiting for out. But again, SHG is live here in studio. We have Marquette in Alton, St. Anthony in Effingham, QND in Quincy, and Father McGivney in Glen Carbon. Uh, and kind of just to spell all things out in terms of the ground rules today or how, how things are going to play, um, we will have you ask your questions. SHG will go first. Marquette, you can go second. St. Anthony, QND, and Father McGivney, so you kind of remember that. I will cue you, and you guys can ask your question. Bishop will answer it. That'll be the first round. Uh, then the second round will go around again, and uh, you guys can ask whatever you want. I do have your first question, so that I got that on the off chance. If we did have technical problems, I could just ask them for you. But again, second round, it's definitely an open forum. So Bishop Paprocki, he has been our bishop here in the diocese for almost 10 years. Can you believe 10 that? 10 years in June. Yeah. Uh, hails from Chicago. Right. Uh, you know him as the Holy Goalie, as a marathon runner. He's also a canon lawyer, which is kind of a church lawyer and a civil attorney as well. Uh, you started Chicago Legal Clinic in Chicago, as well as Catholic Legal Services here in Springfield with your law background as a way to give back to the those who are, who are in need of free legal services. It's a wonderful program. And really quick before you do your introduction, you told me once about um, uh, White Castle. <laughs> well, didn't you have some, like, you won some award or some... When I was in law school, we had a slider-eating contest, and I won it. <laughs> everybody else, they're just stuffing their mouths, trying to get all these sliders uh, into their mouths. And, and there's really, there's a there's a way to eat sliders. You just take a bite, <laughs> chew, and it slides down your throat. Bite, chew, slide. And I ate about a dozen of them in about two minutes. So I, I <laughs> when was the last time you went to White Castle? It's been a while. Yeah, I wish we had some here. Honestly, I don't think there's any in their diocese. All right, so really quick before we get started, Bishop, do you want to say anything to open things up for Catholic Schools Week? Well, first of all, let me just say that it's uh, great to be here with you and uh, have uh, some of our students here live from Sacred Heart Griffin High School from the mission class. And then uh, good to see some of you uh, on video also from our other Catholic high schools and uh I'll be actually coming out to um, uh, Marquette today uh, in Alton for the uh, uh, school's mass there. And um, uh, so it's uh, good to have these opportunities uh, to be together and celebrate Catholic Schools Week this week. Excellent. Well, we'll start with uh, SHG, who is with us right now. You guys have the first question. And go ahead and say your name and state the question. It is. So my name is Mikey Larrero. um, And... For our mission class, we'd like to ask you exactly what is the purpose of the sign of the cross during Mass? Or sign of sign of peace, I'm sorry, my bad. Sign of peace during Mass. Thank you for the question. And I like questions like that because I, I like when people are, are trying to understand why we do the things we do. We do, we do a lot of things in, in church, and um, they have symbols, and there's meaning behind them. And 
Uh, like when I go for confirmation, I always like to try to explain. I meet with the confirmation candidates ahead of time and try to explain, you know, even the vestments and the things I use. Like the bishop wears that pointed hat. It's called a mitre. And I say, well, there's a reason for that. Uh, and if you don't know the reason, you're just sitting there wondering, why is he wearing that hat? You know, so I explained it. It goes back to the Old Testament where Aaron was put a, they put a mitre on his head to show that he was a high priest of Israel. And so a bishop wears that hat to show that he's a, a leader in the church. Your question about the sign of peace, that's a very good question, too, because, you know, we do that. Why are we doing that? And let me first of all, maybe say what it's not supposed to do and um, maybe clear up some misunderstandings. It's not a get acquainted session. It's not sort of like, well, let me look around and maybe meet some people that I haven't met before. Uh, or it's not a uh, time for you to go out and greet all your friends. Uh, it really goes back to something that Jesus said, as many of the things that we do in our liturgy go back to our Lord. When uh, Jesus said, when you, when you go to the temple, of course, at that time in the Jewish religion, people go to the temple and they get, provided their sacrifices. They put their sacrifices on the altar um, to give to God as a sign of worship. And he said, if you are about to put your your sacrifice on the altar and you remember that you have some disagreement with your friend or your neighbor, first, go reconcile with that person and you know be at peace with that person and then come and put your sacrifice on the altar. So what our Lord was saying is, you know what, uh, you know, it goes back to the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor, it's kind of hard for you to love God. You have to love God and your neighbor. So God is saying, uh, first, make sure that you're reconciled with your neighbors and that you're at peace with your neighbor. Uh, and then you can come and worship me. So even look at the timing when we do the sign of, sign of peace. It's right before Holy Communion. So uh, the message there is before you come up to the altar to receive Jesus into your heart, First, you should be at peace with each other. And remember, it's a symbolic thing, so it's not like you have to try to remember in a congregation, oh, is there anybody else here that I, you know, that I have to ask them a forgiveness of and say I'm sorry. It's symbolic. So you just turn to the person next to you, really, and just say, peace be with you. So it's a sign of being at peace with your neighbors, and then you're free to come to receive our Lord and Holy Communion. Hope that answers the question. All right, Marquette Catholic in Alton, uh, we have unmuted you on our end, so go ahead and fire away your question. Um, why does God make life hard when he's all-powerful and can take away all pain? So why does God make life hard when he's all-powerful and he can take away all pain? Uh, that's a, that's a, a very profound theological question that uh, theologians have been struggling with for, for centuries, but... There are some good answers that are provided for that. I think the first answer uh, that we have to recognize is that, that God also gave us freedom. And uh, so and he wants us to love him in return. So God loves us. He created us out of love. And he wants us to love him in return. But he wants that love to be free. And so, uh, in a sense, if, if he took away all challenges, all pain, all suffering, in a sense, it would be too easy, you know, and... and uh, so you might say in some sense, God is putting some tests up there. Uh, oftentimes our struggles, our sufferings in life uh, should be seen as a test. God is testing us. Do you really love me? In a sense is what he's saying. Is that, Are you willing to put up some hardship? Uh, you see that even your family's parents are willing to put up with hardship in order to make life better for their children. Um, and, and so it's a way of showing love. So that's one thing is a way of of uh, maybe being tested by our Lord to see, well, how much do you really love me? And then secondly, uh, I'd say that it's a way for us to join in the suffering of our Lord uh, because uh, 
you know, Jesus uh, suffered um, on the cross. He died for our sins. And so he invites us to, to share in that. He said, unless you pick up your cross um, and follow me, you will, you'll, you will not have eternal life with me. So he wants us to share uh, in his suffering. And so uh, anytime we do suffer or have some pain or some difficulty, it's good for us to, to keep in mind, uh, or even to, we, the old expression is offer it up. Offer it up in a sense of being joined with, with Jesus, sort of be, even be thinking about, okay, this is really hard, this is difficult, um, in pain or suffering, whatever. I, I join my suffering to the suffering of Jesus on the cross, and in that way I am one with our Lord. So those are just a couple of reasons uh, that I think uh, help us maybe to understand uh, the freedom that God has given us um, to either say yes or no to him and to show our love for him and then to join in his suffering. St. Anthony in Effingham, if you want to go ahead and fire away, at, you're going to get unmuted on our end. Go ahead and fire away, St. Anthony. Hi, uh, I'm Stella. Uh, do you have any practical advice for staying Catholic in college? Yes, well, first of all, let me say, St. Anthony, I'll be there tomorrow uh, for Mass. So I'm looking forward to being, uh, being there with you for our Catholic Schools Week Mass. Uh, staying Catholic in college, that is a, uh, that is a real challenge. Uh, these days. I think, uh, you know, we are living uh, more and more in a secular world. I mean, I, th I see it even in, in my own lifetime, uh, from when I was a child to where we are today. I think our world is becoming uh, not only more secular, but in some ways even more hostile uh, to, uh, to religion in general and to Christianity uh, in particular. And uh, I think that's especially seen on our, our college campuses, uh, where I think, uh, I think there's a false People put up a false dichotomy between faith and reason, um, and uh, they say that, well, you know, religion is just superstition, and so we have to put our, our trust in science and hard facts. And I say it's a false dichotomy because actually today we're celebrating the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest theologians of all time, and Thomas Aquinas went out of his way to show there's a connection between faith and reason, you know, that our, our faith is based on being able to under, trying to understand God. In fact, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, I was just reading his, his life history this morning, he uh, started out as a student asking his primary question. He kept asking over and over and over again of his teachers, who is God? You know, and so, um, you know, he struggled with that. And he, he did a lot of studies and a lot of writing on that. The University of Naples he was at, he was at the University of Paris, um, and so he was in you know, some great universities in Europe, but he wrote uh, volumes and volumes trying to answer that question, who is God? And so uh, when you go to a college campus, uh, whether it's a Catholic college or a non-Catholic uh, college, a public university, in fact, the Catholic Church has places, it has centers. Um, they're often called a Newman Center, named after uh, St. Uh, John Cardinal Newman of, of England, who wrote a... Uh, an essay on the idea of a Catholic university. And so uh, we have these Newman centers uh, and, and so places where you can go. And, uh, and if you're in it, you get that sense of the environment that you're in is not going to be very friendly to religion. We have these little like uh, oases uh, where you can go and practice your faith. I say even at secular universities, if you go to a place like University of Illinois, Champaign, uh, the St. Uh, uh, John Newman Center, uh, in Champaign, a tremendous place. I was. I gave the commencement address last there last year uh, for their graduation, 
And uh, there's a lot of vocations that come out of St. John's. Another place where you, you wouldn't think of it, Texas A&M University. Um, Texas A&M, a big public university in Texas, they have a tremendous campus ministry there. So, um, so I think to answer the question is uh, whatever campus you find yourself on, uh, look for those Catholic enclaves. They're there. Uh, they may not be immediate, obvious, uh, be obvious immediately, but um, you'll look for them and you'll find them and, and then stay close to that Catholic community and that will help you to stay strong in your faith. Yeah, even in our diocese, we have Eastern Illinois University, SIUE. We have very thriving Newman centers there. We have some young priests there. When you visited and you've been, you know, Father Rob Johnson, I know, is SIUE. Father Braden is at uh, Eastern Illinois. I mean, your sense of, of what they're doing and how they're building a community there is it's, it's thriving in the past several years. Well, absolutely. I mean, a place like Eastern Illinois University, we have a Newman Center that you know, the Catholic Church uh, owns. It's a center there with a chapel and, and they have activities that go on there. Uh, uh, Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. We don't own the building, but we rent uh, uh, a space there, and we have a lot of activities going on uh, there as well. Uh, those, so those are the public universities that we have in our, our diocese. And here in Springfield, University of Illinois at uh, Springfield, again, we, we don't have our own space, but uh, Father Kevin Mann uh, from St. Catherine Drexel Parish here in Springfield, he, off, he goes out there to say Mass on Sundays. And then uh, we have a Catholic university here in our diocese, Quincy University, is actually run by the Franciscan uh, community. And uh, so they have a campus ministry there and a, and a chaplain right there on campus. It's good advice because yeah, I got involved in our Newman Center. I went to Valparaiso University, which is a Lutheran right. university, and I just had a tremendous experience. So really good advice there, Bishop. All right, so QND and Quincy, you are up next. We will unmute you on our end and fire away with your question, QND. Hi, my name is Haley Skinner, and I was just wondering what you thought the biggest challenges for the church to get from the church. Lots of challenges in the church these days. Um, well, first of all, I, I guess I would say one of the big challenges we have that's uh, 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 been in the news uh, for several years now, I guess you would say, is the very unfortunate uh, history of uh, cases of sexual misconduct with minors. And uh, we have to come to grips with that. That's a very shameful part of our history. Uh, we can't deny that that it was there. But we also have to uh, learn from that and we have to, to move on from that. Uh, and I think we've already learned uh, a great deal. So since 2002, uh, the bishops of the United States have put into effect what we call a charter for the protection of uh, young people and essential norms that provide uh, some uh, regulations uh, for guiding the ministry of, of priests, and, and we basically adopted a zero tolerance rule. So that says that if any uh, uh, cleric, a priest, a deacon is, is caught uh, with sexual misconduct with minors, he was he's out. Uh, no second chances with that. And so I think those measures have been effective uh, because uh, most of even what you're reading about today are mostly cases that have come up from 30, 40, 50 years ago. And uh, in the nine and a half, almost 10 years that I have been here, I have received no allegations of any misconduct that has said to have occurred within the last 10 years. And, in, and we haven't even had an allegation like that for over 15 years. So I think we're, you know, just to say it is a challenge. It continues to be a, a challenge. But um, at the same time, uh, I think we're making great progress on that. The other uh, challenge that I think we have to face very squarely is uh, what I alluded to in my previous response about uh, the secular um, challenges on our, our uh, university campuses. I think that's throughout our society. 
Um, again, when I was when I was growing up, even television shows uh, seemed to promote values that were more consistent with our Catholic faith. And today, I, I think um, what we see more in the media are, are in fact messages that are are opposed to our Catholic faith. And so, for those of us who uh, believe, uh, for example, that human life begins at conception, and I just got back from the March for Life in Washington D.C. And maybe some of you were out there too, the March for Life, almost a half a million people, mostly young people out there uh, giving witness to life. Well, that's, that's, uh, not, that's not the current message that's prevalent in our society today, uh, or at least not in the media and, uh, and, and some of the uh, messages that, that you're hearing. So uh, I think we have to be aware that um, people aren't always friendly to the Christian message that we're getting uh, today, uh, but that we should not let that... Um, discourage us or set us back. I, I like to remind people, uh, for example, like last last uh, spring when um, the Illinois General Assembly uh, passed a law and the governor signed a law that said abortion is a fundamental right uh, in our state. I have a friend of mine that sent me an email and she said, well, maybe I should just move to another state. And I wrote back as well, you know, I don't know that that's the solution is just moving away. And I, I reminded her, and I tell other people this too, I said, you know what, what the first Christians in the first century were starting out, they were in the pagan Roman Empire. And uh, it was not at all conducive to Christianity. In fact, many of the early Christians died as martyrs because they were told either you worship the Roman gods or we put you to death. And, and they said, well, we're not going to worship the Roman gods, we're Christians. And so they died as martyrs. And so... You know, those early Christians didn't say, well, let's let's go find a country where, you know, we'll get uh, we'll be treated better. They stood up for their faith wherever they were. So I think that's what we're called to do today is, as well. If even if our our culture is secular or even hostile to religion, we have to stand up for our faith and be strong, be witnesses to our faith. And another challenge, Bishop, of course, we have unfortunately seen less people in the pews. Uh, you think a lot of that is is people just not understanding and appreciating the Eucharist. I mean, we saw last year the Pew study that found 70% of Catholics don't even know or choose not to believe that it is the body and blood of Christ. And, you know, we have so many young people here who are going to be going to Mass later today. Decatur couldn't be with us because they're at Mass right now. Talk about the Eucharist, and that is the source and summit of our faith. And that's, you know, that, that should be the reason why we should, we should be going to Mass first and foremost. Well, absolutely. Uh, and I think there's a correlation with that statistic that 70% of Catholics apparently either don't understand or don't believe. I don't know if it's always that they don't know the teaching of the Church. Maybe they just don't believe it. You know, we say that the bread and wine at Mass at the consecration become the body and blood of Christ. Uh, I think we're pretty clear with that teaching. And most people who have gone to Catholic schools or uh, Catholic religion classes have learned that at least in their head. Maybe they haven't learned it in their heart. And so if they go there thinking, well, this is just sort of a commemoration of the Last Supper, you know, well, you do that. You don't have to do that every week. <laughs> but if, if you really believe this is the body and blood of Christ, it's like, well, yeah, I want to receive Christ into my heart as often as I can. You know, and so I think the correlation is, well, if 70% uh, don't believe that, when we say about 30% of Catholics on average around the United States are going to church every week, well, maybe it's the 70% that don't believe it that are the ones that are not going to church because they feel, well, why bother? But the 30% that do believe it are saying, yeah, I want to go to church. I want to be there every Sunday. And some, a lot of people go to Mass even every day because I want to receive the Lord into my heart every day. So 
I also find it a bit ironic, you know, in the last few years we've uh, been, we had our synod a couple of years ago. And before that, I took a survey of people who, uh, who the reasons why they go to church and why they don't go to church. And it was uh, kind of telling some of the people that said why they don't go to church. They were getting answers like, well, because I, I didn't feel I was being fed in the Catholic Church. I thought, well, you're not being fed in the Catholic Church. I know, I know what they meant by that, maybe in terms of the homily that they were looking for more inspiring homilies or th- something like that. But when, I th- when you say not being fed, well, you're being fed with the body and blood of Christ in the Catholic Church. And if you believe that, how could you go to any other? Most Protestant denominations don't, don't have even a communion service. It's, it's all focused on the liturgy of the, the Word, the Bible, which is great. But I say that's half a loaf. The other half is receiving uh, Christ into your hearts. So for those who believe... Um, the Mass is then very important. So I, I think that's the challenge then is to make sure that in our, our Catholic schools and our um, the PSR programs that we really are uh, teaching and, and helping people to believe that uh, um, the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. Excellent. So uh, Route Catholic, you guys have joined us. If you can unmute your mic, you are up next if you want to fire away with your question. Besides hockey and, and running. <laughs> yeah, the ordinary uh, day in life of bishop. Well, I, for one thing, I'm not sure that I exactly have an ordinary day. They, they really kind of change from day to day and season to season. But I'll tell you typically what I try to do. Um, like what I did this morning, I got up about five and I said a few prayers to begin my day. I went over to the Fit Club South. I did some weightlifting. I ran a couple of miles around the track there. Uh, I came home, I did a holy hour, and uh, said morning prayer uh, with one of the priests there at the cathedral. I had breakfast, and then I came over here. And I have this video uh, meeting with you today. Uh, from here, I'm going to uh, be going later today to Alton. to have Mass for Catholic Schools Week at Marquette. And uh, then I have a meeting back here this afternoon. And uh, uh, this evening, um, I don't have anything this evening uh, scheduled uh, in terms of an appearance, but I'll uh, be trying to catch up on some desk work at home. Um, more often than not, uh, again, it's, it kind of depends on the season because like when we get into March and April, uh, confirmation season, I will be out almost every evening in a different parish. So I go to parishes uh, around our diocese and I put in a lot of miles. I put in about 40,000 miles uh, a year on my car. And uh, because I'm going from our diocese covers 15,000 square miles from the Mississippi River to the Indiana border, 28 counties. We have 129 parishes. And um, uh, this year, I think I have about 80 confirmations. So I'm going to be out on the road uh, quite a bit. In between there, like when I'm in my car, I'm driving. uh, Usually my master of ceremonies, one of my priests is with me. He's driving. I'm on my laptop uh, doing email and things like that Uh, here. During the day, I have uh, I have meetings, I have appointments, uh, people coming to see me. So uh, it's it's a pretty full schedule, uh, but it uh, it uh, keeps me from being bored. And of course, in between there, I try to get some hockey. Okay. Of course, of course. Really quick. So uh, you just had a, a neat experience visiting Rome. Obviously, you're you're in Rome ever so often, but you just met with Pope Francis for the what's called the ad limina. 
uh, tell everyone about your visit uh, with Pope Francis and you got to meet him and talk with him. Yes, yeah, so I did. Uh, this was part of a, a pilgrimage since I knew uh, that I'd be going to Rome. Actually, all the bishops around the world meet with the Pope every few years. And so it was our turn, the bishops of the United States this year. And so because we have such a big country, they break us into regions. So the bishops of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana were going. Uh, it was uh, Our meeting was on December 12th with uh, Pope Francis. And uh, since I knew we were going to Rome, our diocese has also done a pilgrimage uh, every year around this time, and usually in December, going to the Holy Land. So I combined those. So I had about 30 people with me. We went to the Holy Land uh, for a week from December 2nd to December 9th. And we were, of course, in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, and in Nazareth, where he grew up, and the Sea of Galilee. We had a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did a lot of his preaching there. How were the waves choppy? Was, was it was a storm no, coming? No, it was very <laughs> calm. It was very calm water. And, of course, then to Jerusalem, where Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead. And then, and then we went to Rome, which I, I like that dynamic, because it's kind of like that's how the church grew. The church started in Jerusalem didn't stay in Jerusalem. St. Peter and Paul went to Rome because, again, going back, that was the Roman Empire. That was a capital. If you want to get the word out about Jesus, you went to the capital. So they went to Rome. That's where they died as martyrs. So that's why the Pope's in Rome to this day. So the ad limina visits, it comes from Latin ad limina apostolorum, to the tombs of the apostles. And so part of our visit is to pray at the tombs of St. Peter and Paul and then to meet with the successor of St. Peter, the Pope. So uh, we actually, uh, the, the bishops of our region, about 27 of us, we had a, a two and a half hour session with, uh, with Pope Francis. And it was just a kind of a freewheeling conversation. We, uh, we sat in a semicircle around him, uh, just the bishops and the Pope, no staff, nobody else, just one priest who was translating. The Pope spoke in Italian and then the priest would translate into English and then we spoke in English and he would translate into Italian. So. That was an interesting conversation that way. And then, of course, during the whole week, we were there for a week. So um, we um, had a number of meetings with the different departments or congregations, as they call them, uh, in Rome. And uh, I stayed at the Pontifical North American College, which is the seminary that is owned by the bishops of the United States in Rome. We have a num number of our own seminarians uh, studying uh, in Rome. In fact, the rector of the North American College is a priest of our diocese, Father Peter Harmon, who used to be the pastor here at our, our cathedral parish. So that was a great week. A Quincy native as well. That's right, he is. All right, so that's our first round. So now we're uh, opening it up. So SHG again is live with us here in our makeshift studio, if you want to call it that. So go ahead and fire away with your question for Bishop. Um, I'm a Marotring, and I was wondering why is it so important today that we continue to say the St. Michael prayer at the end of Mass? Okay, this is, so the St. Michael prayer. Yeah, we started saying that shortly after I came here uh, in 2010. And so when I um, came to the diocese, we had a series of, of masses, uh, sort of welcoming masses for me in the deaneries. We had seven deaneries around the diocese. And in my homily, I was talking about my vision, uh, what I would hope to see would happen during the years that I would be bishop here. And I talked about how I hope we would have a very strong and vibrant faith and that we would have uh, strong families with uh, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives loving each other and their children, and that we would have lots of vocations to the priesthood and religious life. And I said, in some ways, that might sound very idealistic, very utopian. I said, but there's the only reason that can't happen is because of sin. Sin is the only thing that keeps us from reaching our ideals. And so I, I said, you know, I just 
kind of threw this out there. I said, as a reminder, you know, that it used to be part of before the changes in the liturgy in the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, after, um, after what they called a low mass, that is a mass without a, a choir music, uh, they would say the prayer to St. Michael. And it was a prayer that Pope Leo XIII um, wrote uh, in the 1890s. And um, because he had this vision that the church would be challenged by many temptations and, and um, interference from, from the devil. So he encouraged people to say this prayer to St. Michael. And so I threw that out there. I said, you know what? Uh, we don't say it officially as part of the liturgy, but there's nothing that prevents us from doing that. Uh, and so the chancellor of our diocese at that time was Mrs. Marlena Mulford, and she came to me with this idea. She said, well, why don't we, why don't, she said, I'll print up, I'll get some prayer cards printed up with the St. Michael prayer on it, uh, because maybe not everybody knows it. So she had actually 50,000 prayer cards made up. And uh, we distributed them around the diocese. I sent them out and told the pastors, you know what? I didn't order it or mandate it. I said, if you want to say this prayer, feel free. So the first few times I started coming to parishes, people would have their little prayer cards. And they would say, okay, at the end of Mass, we finish Mass. And then uh, after the final blessing and the dismissal, say, okay, let's say the prayer to St. Francis. People would pull the cards out and we would say the prayer. Well, I noticed after a few months that nobody was using the cards anymore because they now had it memorized. And then on top of that, um, again, I didn't mandate this, but it, so if I was in a parish and if I didn't start the St. Michael Purse, somebody else would. <laughs> and, um, and as I found it, even, even when we were in Washington, D.C. last week, so we had a mass, our pilgrims, we had about 10 busloads of people going from our diocese going all the way up to Washington. And after the mass, we're in Washington, D.C. Um, and after mass, I just start St. Michael the Archangel. Everybody just goes in with the song and, you know, very loud. And so what it's saying to me is the people of this diocese want to say this prayer. And they say, why do we want to say this prayer? We want to say this prayer because I think people recognize, recognize the challenges uh, to our faith and the temptations and that St. Michael is out there fighting the battles and he's going to help us fight these battles. Uh, Father McGivney, uh, sorry we skipped you. If you got, we'll unmute ourselves on our end. If you want to fire away with your question for Bishop Paprocki. Good morning. Um, how is the Catholic Church planning and addressing the challenges of the future in light of the current decrease in number of young men choosing the path of priesthood, combined with the increase of the number of current priests at the near age of retirement? All right. Well, first of all, um, there's an underlying assumption there with your question that there's a decrease in vocations to priesthood or religious life. And uh, that's true in some places, but it's not true everywhere. Uh, actually, here in our diocese, we're seeing an increase uh, in vocations. So... Uh, uh, when I came here to our diocese uh, 10 years ago, uh, we had 11 seminarians studying to be priests for our diocese. We now have 23. So in, in 10 years, we have, we have uh, more than doubled that. We are also seeing uh, a number of uh, increase in women that are entering religious life. Uh, we have a very wonderful uh, uh, community here in our diocese in Alton, the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. And every year I've been doing... Uh, their masses for um, reception of uh, sisters into the community, novices, and then making their first vows or their final vows. And we're seeing a number of, of young women uh, entering into religious life. So I think sometimes it depends uh, where you're at. Uh, some countries around the world, like, like Nigeria, Africa, the church is, is booming in Africa. And, and so there are parts of the world where, uh, where the church is growing and vocations are growing. On the other hand, you're right that there are, uh, there are other parts of the world where 
uh, where the, the faith does not seem to be that strong. Western Europe, for example, where I'm told that uh, mass attendance is like less than 10% of Catholics going to mass every week. And even parts of our country, ironically, some, some of our bigger cities, uh, I think, are much more secular. And so, um, you know, we're going to ordain eight priests this year, this in May, for our diocese, which is tremendous. And that's going to be, I think, bigger than Chicago. It's going to be bigger than uh, some of our other big cities because I think we're just, in some ways, um, I don't want to say it's easier, but we can we can create a, a climate here in our diocese that fosters vocations. And sometimes that's actually a little harder to do. You think they're a bigger city, they have a bigger population to draw from. But sometimes in a big city, it's actually harder to create that that climate. So what can we do uh, about that? Well, in terms of uh, how have we managed to increase the number of vocations here in our diocese, I do two things, basically. I, I pray about it and I talk about it a lot. So when uh, every confirmation uh, that I go to, um, those of you that have been confirmed by me, you might remember that before confirmation, I, we had a little meeting and a chat. And uh, part of that conversation is to talk about vocations. And so I talk about it a lot. We also just finished a round of what we call Andrew dinners every Year every other year in the fall, I do what I call Andrew dinners. It, come, it comes from Saint Andrew, who, who's the one who invited his brother Peter to meet Jesus. Peter would have never heard about Jesus if it wasn't for his brother Andrew. So, and then Peter becomes the first pope. So, in the same way, I tell pastors to invite uh, young men to come and meet with me to talk about priesthood. Um, and we've uh, had this past fall about forty-five to fifty prospects, as I call them who may or may not have even thought about priesthood, but they're invited by their pastor uh, to think about it. Religious communities of uh, women are doing that also for, for women. Again, the sisters in Alton do this, the National Dominicans, uh, the Dominicans up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. In fact, I was, uh, they have these retreats uh, where they invite young women to their, to their convent for the weekend. I attended one of them in Alton, and uh, a number of the young women there were talking about how they go on the what they call a nun run. <laughs> which means they just visit from one convent to another. Kind of look, because that, that's part of becoming, deciding you want to be a priest or you want to be a nun, uh, that's the only the first question. Is if you want to become a religious sister, for example, great. But what community do you want to join? And there's a lot to choose from. So they actually just go from, sometimes from convent to convent and, uh, you know, try to get a feel for what they're like. And then they make their decision from there. So things like that are what we're trying to do to foster vocations to the priesthood and religious life. Also, I'd like to just say a word about the, another vocation that's very important is marriage. And um, again, I think in our culture, uh, I've seen a shift in my own lifetime. It was kind of when I was growing up, like in high school and college, it was kind of assumed, you know, uh, that you were going to get married and raise a family. And uh, I don't think that's so much true uh, these days. A lot of, a lot of couples, um, they may live together, they may cohabit, but they don't necessarily get married. And then that's not, that's not our Christian way of living. So I think we also have challenges there, too, for, for people to say, you know what, the sacrament of matrimony is a vocation and, uh, and raising your, your family in the church. That's a real vocation. So I think that's a challenge we have to work on as well. Yeah, to go back to our priests, it's the most priests in our diocese being ordained since 1964. Yep. So to your point, eight priests this year, it's been 50 years. It really shows what you guys are doing both on, uh, obviously with the men and the women down in Alton. We've seen a lot of growth, especially here in our diocese. All right, Marquette Catholic High School in Alton, we'll unmute you on our end if you want to fire away with your next question for Bishop Paprocki. Um, my name is Nathan Bennett, and our question is, when do you think Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead? 
<laughs> oh, thank you, Nathan. <laughs> well, if I... Uh, what are the odds? We, we, putting, we putting money down on this one, Bishop? <laughs> if I knew the answer to that question, I guess I'd be rich. You know, and, uh, you know I think Jesus even cautioned uh, against that in, in the scriptures. He said, and he kind of uh, predicted that there, and we've seen, uh, we've seen people do this, that they'll say, oh, the end is coming, you know, carrying a sign, the end is near, or something like that. And um, some have even been very precise with their predictions, you know, I remember when we entered this new millennium, the year 2000, you might remember Y2K and all this. All hell was going to break loose. The, you know, computers are all going to shut down and it's going to be the catastrophe at 2000. It's going to be the end of the world. And then there were a few years ago, there was another a person who he had his own formula formulations and had a specific date that the world was going to end on this date. And when that date came and went, he said, well, I must have just miscalculated. So he tried to recalculate. But Jesus actually warned about that. He says, you know, not the time or the day. Uh, and he used the image of, you know, the, the second coming is going to be like a thief coming in the middle of the night. Um, he also gave the um, uh, the parable about the wise and the foolish virgins, you know, the, they using oil lamps in those days to, to light the room and, and the foolish virgin, they're called foolish because they ran out of oil and, uh, and they wanted to borrow the oil from the wise virgin. They said, no, no, we got our own oil. Go get your own oil. So they go off to get more oil for their lamps. And in the meantime, the bridegroom comes and, you know, the bridegroom being, of course, Jesus. And, and so his point is, you know, not the day or the hour. So Jesus's point was in saying that is, in a sense, don't even try to answer that question. Um, you know, if you're trying to figure out when is the end going to come, you're going to you're going to get sidetracked. The thing you should do is to be prepared that Christ could come today. That's really what our faith is all about: to be prepared. And and, and unfortunately, most of us uh, are, have this mindset: oh, it's not going to be a long time. I don't need to worry about that. Well, I mean. Our life could end today. You know, look at Kobe Bryant. What happened with him is he, uh, we're told he went to Mass, that he was Catholic. Kobe Bryant was Catholic. We're told he went to Mass uh, that morning before he got on the helicopter. And, and who knew that that was going to be the last day of his life and his daughter's life and the, the other people that were on that helicopter with him. So uh, I think, you know, that's, that's a tragic, but it's, it's a very realistic uh, reminder to us, you know, not the day or, or the hours. So we should, we should live every day as if this could be the last day of our lives and every day as if uh, this is the day the Lord's coming again. But just a reminder there, especially with Kobe Bryant, receiving the Eucharist frequently, right. going to confession so you are, your soul is prepared. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's as, as tragic as his death uh, is, I mean, it is consolation to know that he went to Mass that morning. You know, and, and so he was practicing his faith. He went to Mass and then uh, presume he went to Holy Communion at Mass. And he, so he received Holy Communion on the day he died. And, and that's, what, that's what it's all about, is to die in the state of grace so that we, when that moment does come for us, that we are ready to meet our Lord face to face. All right, Route Catholic in Jacksonville, you are up next. We'll unmute you on our end if you want to fire away your next question for Bishop Paprocki. Okay, our next question... Is there anything you've learned that you didn't expect to learn when you became a bishop? When I became a bishop, anything I learned that I didn't expect to learn? Yeah, well, um, you know, I've always uh, had a great um, interest in learning. And uh, so as a priest, uh, I went to law school and got a law degree. And uh, I used that as a basis for my ministry uh, to help the poor. But as, as a bishop, I guess what was unexpected is I, uh, I wound up uh, going back to school 
and I went to uh, uh, business school at the University of Notre Dame and I got an MBA, a master's in business administration. And why did I do that? Uh, because a bishop in many ways running a diocese is like being a CEO of, it is being a CEO of a corporation in a sense. Yes, I'm a religious leader and I have my training in theology in the seminary and all that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm in charge of this organization. When, when you look at it, we have a multi-million dollar budget, we have uh, lots of employees, we own lots of property, uh, churches, schools, uh, hospitals uh, that the church owns, um, we even own some farms <laughs> here. I mean, people you get your agriculture they, degree while you're yeah, at it. They donate their farms to the, their parish, and sometimes you know, sometimes we sell them, sometimes we keep them and lease them, and then the income from the farm actually helps uh, sustain the parish. Now, I have a finance officer, I have a finance council, I have business managers in our parishes. They run all that, but in the end, you might say the buck stops here. So, yeah, I have to read financial reports. Uh, our diocese has investments. So I think that that whole side of the business side, you know, going to, to the business school and learning about accounting and finance and, and things like that, that I didn't learn in the seminary, those were some of the things I learned that I, uh, I, I didn't expect to learn. But um, I, I always try to keep learning and I encourage all of you uh, throughout life, don't think when you finish high school, your college, you're done learning. Uh, there's always plenty more to learn. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go for an academic degree. I have done that. So in terms of getting a law degree and then an MBA, when I finished my MBA, my I told my family, I said, I think I'm finally done with my formal education. I'm not going to enroll in any more classes. And my little sister said, I don't believe you. You're going to go to medical school now. I said, I don't, I don't think so. Well, you're now teaching at the University of Notre Dame on top of it I too now. Teach. So I stay involved in the academic world. So I'm on the adjunct faculty at the law school at the University of Notre Dame. I teach in the fall semester uh, once a week on Friday mornings. It's my day off, uh, but I go to Notre Dame, and uh, it's, uh, it's actually, I find very energizing, a great way to spend my day off because I love being around the young people at Notre Dame. I, I get to play hockey there at the Compton Family Ice Arena. Uh, they have drop-in hockey at lunchtime, and uh, that's the truth of the matter, right? That's, that's why. Yeah, that's, that's why, why you really went up there. Okay. And I get to stay for football games every once in a while. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to let SHG, who's live with us in the studio right now, to peace out. They're heading off to mass. It's all a right, good excuse. Pray for me. Thank you all for coming. Um, Thank you. Uh, next up, we're going to have uh, Saint Anthony in Effingham. So, Saint Anthony, we will unmute you in our end if you want to fire away with your question for Bishop Paprocki. And this is Justin. We were wondering if the bishop has a bishop mobile, like the Pope has a Pope mobile. <laughs> Not exactly. You know, so the Pope mobile is like, you know, where this, this big white open vehicle where people can see him when he's kind of touring around. I, I don't have that. I just, I have a, um, I have a four door gray Chevy Impala. <laughs> That's how I get around the diocese. So I wouldn't exactly call it a bishop mobile, but. Uh, it's, it's an adequate car that gets me where I where I need to be. <laughs> I've always I always told you you guys should add those Vatican flags as you drive around. You know, like you know, the president always has the yeah. American flags. You guys should throw some Vatican, Vatican flags, flags out there. Yeah. That'd be cool. If you don't know what the Vatican flag looks like, we actually have them flying at our cathedral. Uh, we have American flag on one side. The Vatican flag is the yellow. Uh, and white flag, uh, gold and white, those are the colors of the Holy See, and then the Pope's coat of arms on that. A lot of our parishes have that flag, too. Isn't your light, you have some Blackhawks detail on your license plate or something like that? Well, I used to have a Blackhawks license plate uh, until my uh, security people told me to get rid of that because everybody knew it was my car. Um, but I have... And there's uh, blues, more Blues fans down here, maybe? No, just... <laughs> <laughs> But if you look on my coat of arms, um, on my coat of arms, there's this... Um, 
kind of lattice work with a, 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 a circle with a cross on a black circle with a cross. If you look at it really closely, it's like a puck uh, <laughs> entering the hockey net. <laughs> oh, entering the hockey net, which means the goalie didn't stop. I'm not, there's no goalie there. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Quincy Notre Dame, uh, you are up next. We'll want to meet you on our end if you want to fire away with your question with Bishop Rocky. Uh, I'm Mitchell Brent. I'm wondering what your thoughts were about the Amazon Synod. So the Amazon Synod, yeah. So there's there were a lot of things going on at the Amazon Synod, and um, just for context, this this yeah. took place uh, a few months ago at the Vatican, right? Um, where the Pope brought in people from the Amazon region in South America to talk about some really some hot button issues in the Catholic Church. Yeah, so the Amazon uh, region in, is in South America. It actually spans a number of countries. For the Amazon River flows. Uh, through those countries, and uh, it's an um, it's a very challenged part of the world, as I understand it. I've not been to that region. I've been I've been to Brazil. I was in Rio de Janeiro for the World Youth Day a few years ago, and I've been to Peru. Um, but that part of the region of uh, South America, as I understand, it, is, is very uh, depressed economically. A lot of challenges there, and so even in terms of the faith, uh, they uh, they they don't just. Uh, have many vocations, as I understand it, to the priesthood or religious life. So they're they're looking for ways to try to foster the faith, and um, so I think uh, a synod is is a time also where there's sort of there's brainstorming sessions, and so people are coming trying to propose ideas of ways that they could respond to some of these shortages. I mean, for example, one of the proposals was that um, uh, they start uh, ordaining married men, and um, you know, that's, that's something that gets floated every once in a while. The thing to be careful also with these, with synods like the Amazon Synod or a couple of years ago when they had the family, uh, the Synod on the family, is a lot of times you get uh, people, uh, uh, reporters in the media who are throwing ideas out there or they write their own stories. And I've even seen Pope Francis get a little exasperated with this sometimes because, you know, like his concern with, uh, with Am- the people on Amazon would be how to promote the faith and how to help the people uh, who are struggling in poverty, and um, and yet so much of the press seemed to be about married priests and about deaconesses, and and so when we were in Rome, our meeting with the Pope, uh, he was very clear, saying that he he believes in celibacy and he's not uh, going to do anything to diminish celibacy. He also talked about deaconesses as something that apparently. Uh, in the history of the church, there were women who assisted the deacons, and they called them deaconesses, but he was pretty clear to us, at least, that that was not a rite of ordination. Uh, so I think sometimes people, they try to get people's hopes up and say, well, there's going to be these big changes in the world, in the, in the church. And uh, I think that's just wishful thinking sometimes on people's part. So uh, the Pope will be coming out with a, a, a document uh, soon called an exhortation after the Senate. So we'll, we'll see what he has to say. And then with with those kinds of documents, it's always important you know, to read the whole document, you know, because again, the media like to pick out snippets and little pieces that are out of context. Again, uh, the Holy Father um, was expressed frustration that last Senate when he had his exhortation on Morris Letizia, which was talking about marriage. And he's, it's a long document, so it's a challenge that a lot of people didn't read it. But there are long chapters there on the challenges of marriage and how to, um, uh, how to foster you know, faithfulness within marriage. And there was like one chapter with one footnote in particular that 
discuss the question about um, communion for people who are divorced and remarried. And, and the media kept zeroing in on that. And he saw on one of his press conferences on the plane, he was very frustrated and it came out the way he says, people keep asking me about this footnote. I don't even remember the footnote. <laughs> you know, and, and so, uh, as I said, you, it's important to read what he actually said, read the whole document and put the whole thing in context. Bishop, really quick, um, those two issues, um, married priests um, and as well as um, the, the, the question of women priests. Yeah. Um, explain um, celibacy. It's a church discipline. It's not right. church doctrine, but also explain the church doctrine behind why men can only be priests. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, let me talk about celibacy. Uh, it is a church discipline, but it's also a tradition, as I understand it, from the very beginning. People like to point out that uh, Peter and the other apostles were married, and they were. But it's also part of what they call the apostolic tradition, as I understand it, that when when they were called by the Lord, they didn't necessarily leave their wives in terms of leaving them behind. I mean, they might have stayed with their wives, but they no longer lived as husband and wife. They lived as brother and sister uh, because they were now com totally committed to the Lord. And so over the years, it was sort of, well, if you're going to live as brother and sister, why get married? And so they, celibacy grew as a tradition, and then it didn't become a law until about the 1100s. Uh, and so it could change, and there are exceptions to that. And we have married priests. I have, there's a married priest in our diocese, a former Protestant minister who's married can be brought into the Catholic Church and ordained and still remain married. And so we have, uh, and the Eastern Catholic Churches, uh, you know, the Eastern parts of the world uh, have married priests. So it's, it is possible, but there also, you know, and again, Pope Francis emphasized this, there's a very important gift with celibacy, and that's... Uh, the witness of being a total, uh, being totally dedicated to the Lord, and the availability for ministry. Um, why, why only men? Uh, Pope John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, wrote on this very extensively, as did Pope Paul uh, VI. Uh, why men? Because Jesus only called men to be his apostles. So there was this sense that. You know, Jesus had uh, women who were his followers, no, no question. Mary Magdalene, uh, his own mother, is the prime disciple of example of what it means to be a Christian. So there were women that were very close to Jesus, uh, but yet he did not call them to be apostles. So an apostle is, is uh, the word apostolo in, in Greek means to be sent out. Who are those being sent out uh, as bishops? Essentially, a bishop is the successor of the apostles, and he only chose men to do that. So what John Paul II said was he didn't feel free. He says, even as Pope, I don't have the power to contradict something that Jesus did. If this is the way Jesus set it up, we have to respect that. So that's that's the primary reason why we, we have that in our church today. All right, Father McGivney, um, if you want to fire up your next question for Bishop Abraki. Um, so this is similar to a previous question. So um, for young Catholics about to enter the adult world, how do you combat secular influences? Okay, how do you combat secular influences? Well, I think just as I was saying in the case of university students where you should find uh, that oasis, find the, the Catholic uh, locus uh, of ministry on that campus, I think that's true any, anywhere you go. So uh, fortunately on our our college campuses, we have places like the Newman Centers to do that. Um, but, but what do you do if you're not going to college or, or after college or you're going to be in the business world? What do you do? 
Uh, I think a, a similar kind of thing would be, well, first of all, uh, join a parish and be close to a parish and go to mass and be part of that parish community. But also wherever you are, try to try to look for uh, other Catholics that you can uh, get to know and that you support each other in the faith. Uh, I like to remind people that you know Jesus founded a church, which is a community. He didn't set out to just teach a philosophy. He wasn't, he wasn't like Confucius, where you know Jesus says do this, and they're just not wise teachings. There, yes, he has wise teachings, but his more important point, I think, he said. Uh, uh, to Peter and the apostles, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. He was building a community. And so, so much of Jesus' ministry is all about community. And, and so, the, why community? Because there's, there's strength in numbers. So, if you try to say, well, I'll, I'll maintain my Catholic faith, but I'll do that just by myself. Uh, it's going to be hard to do that. Uh, although you're going to be battered by all the secular influences and it'll be hard to maintain your own strength. If you find a community of people, that's what a parish is supposed to be. You find a community of Catholics where you can go to Mass, you can be part of those parish activities, and you find other Catholics that will support you. Even in the business world, you know, look, look around, try to meet other, other Catholics in, the, in, your, in your workplace. And um, sometimes people uh, in their workplaces, they'll have a lunchtime Bible study or something like that, where it's, you don't need a priest you know, to do that, but occasions where you find like-minded people who share the faith where you can sit down and, and um, you know, have some Bible uh, study or uh, you know, talk about the faith and things like that. So I'd say look for ways that uh, you can meet other people either in your parish or your workplace or school, wherever you are, that can help to uh, strengthen you in your faith because there is strength in numbers. And especially if you go, if you happen to live in a bigger city, most have young adult groups, either through the diocese or if it's a large enough parish, it's called a Catholic young adult group, and you can join those and meet a lot of good people as well. Yes, they have, they have different names. So like here at the cathedral, we have a young adult group we call the Forge. You know, we're trying to forge ahead in our, our faith. But uh, so it, it might come under different names. But uh, yeah, most parish communities will have some kind of a young adult group that you could uh, uh, join and uh, be part of to help. Uh, strengthen your faith. And especially on the, on, the, on the media side of things, surrounding yourself with podcasts, with books, with literature, with EWTN, you know, talk about those aspects. Bishop Barron, uh, who's put together a tremendous platform of wonderful content that explains the church, you know, talks about the church, surrounding yourself with those types of mediums. Oh, absolutely. There's so much out there uh, these days uh, in terms of you know, uh, Catholic video, audio video resources. You mentioned Bishop Barron with his Catholicism series, A Word on Fire. Uh, a lot of good, solid websites out there. They're, they're good uh, DVDs. I get catalogs like from Ignatius Press and Sophia Press, all kinds of not just books, but, but videos. And, and that's important because I think more and more people are into the visual, the videos more than reading books. And, and, uh, so there are lots of things out there, even on the radio. Um, we have Relevant Radio, uh, which is based in Green Bay, but actually has been merging with a lot of networks around the country. They have a national footprint now. Relevant Radio, uh, Covenant Radio, uh, which is we have some stations here broadcast out of uh, St. Louis and uh, affiliated with uh, EWTN, uh, Eternal Word Television Network. So there's a television, a cable television, EWTN. A lot of Catholic programming, but in the uh, uh, in the car as well. And so, even if uh, you don't have satellite radio, uh, you can just get that. I've got it on my phone. Relevant Radio as an app, uh, and uh, so in my car, a lot of times I'll just put the app on over the speakers in my car, 
and there's all kinds of great programming uh, on the radio. If you're if you spend a lot of time in your car like I do, it's uh, you can really get a lot of input. 40,000 miles every year? That's right. Good gosh. And I'll plug our own uh, Diocese of Springfield in Illinois on our Facebook and Twitter pages as well as on Instagram. We've been putting up a lot of content that teaches and inspires people about the faith. Uh, questions. If you have questions about the faith, you can reach out. Our priests will answer it, things like that. So, yes, uh, search, uh, search, those, uh, search those things out. They're definitely out there. All right, Bishop, you're going to be heading to Alton later today for the All Schools Mass. So uh, we'll wrap things up here. If you want to offer a final blessing to all our Catholic students and Catholic teachers across the diocese today. Very good. Well, I just want to wish all of you a very Catholic, a happy Catholic Schools Week and uh, success in, in your studies. And uh, uh, Pray that God will be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us here on this live Q&A with Bishop Aprocki. Bishop, thank you so much. You're welcome.